Shalom everyone, just want to make a quick note that this file, before it starts, it definitely has some technical difficulties during the first part of the teaching, but later on into the recording, the sound quality does get better, and at the end, it kind of tapers off a little bit, so still working on technical difficulties back and forth between the signal that uh, Hasis and I can get, but just be aware that sound quality at points are kind of spotty and drop out, but hang in there. There's a lot of great information, so may this be a blessing to all who hear. Shalom. Alechem Hasis. Alechem Shalom, Aki. How are you? I'm well. How you been? I'm doing good. Doing good. Excited to be back on. Well, welcome back. We've been expecting you, missing you. <laughs> Looking forward to this week. Well, definitely, definitely. If you are ready to lock and load, then uh, we will go ahead and get started. All right, sounds great. Well, welcome everyone to the Parsha Haftarah Get You Some portion with Shomerman and Hasis. And we are on Parsha Pinchas this week. Quick note uh, before we say the Bracha, because in case anyone's caught off guard by their Humash, like I was, um, our First Kings is only read when the Parsha of Pinchas is, uh, what does it say here? It says, if Pinchas is read before the 17th of Tammuz, then you read First Kings. But if it's read after the 17th of Tammuz, then you read Yermiyahu, which is the current status this year. So, Parsha this week does come from Yermiyahu. So, there are notes in your Humash if you have that available. So anyway, uh, here we go. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakhar bin ve'im tovim. Veratza ve divrehim hane emarim be emet Barukata Adonai Habucher Ba Torah Uv Moshe Abdo Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vim Ha Emet Vazedek Bishem Yeshua Amen. Amen. Alright, Hasis, take it away. Alright. So I figured we could start. Again, with our prophet fact, so a little bit about Yemayahu. Right. So it says, he came from an illustrious, illustrious priestly family. He lived in Anathoth, a town that was inhabited entirely by priests and situated in the territory of Benjamin, which adjoined Jerusalem to the north. And his father, Josehiyahu, was actually a Kohen Gadol. Wow. And even though Yemayahu was a prophet, he was a, he was a Kohen, he actually did not serve, he did not serve, Yermahu did not serve in the Beit HaMikdash. Wow. But what's interesting is he delivered his messages in the streets and marketplaces of Jerusalem. And this, this makes me think of, of Yeshua going into the marketplaces and, and, you know, prophesying and flipping tables. Oh, wow. So, that, wow. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. This is all during the time of... Uh, it was when, you know, the, the civil war, so to speak, broke apart the 12 tribes. Right. And only Yehuda and Benjamin uh, comprised the kingdom of Yehuda. Hmm. And 
What's interesting is in this this time, at least the early time, there was three prophets who were simultaneously um, bringing Hashem's word to the people. And so you have Yahu, and you actually have this older prophet, uh, Sephaniah, and you have a prophetess, uh, oh. Hulda, who actually would reprove the women. What's her name? Uh, Hulda. Hulda. Hulda, yeah. Uh, transliterated, it's C-H-U-L-D-A. And I don't have the uh, Ivrit in front of me, unfortunately. Yeah, it sounds like it would be uh, Chet, probably a Vav, Lamed, Dalit, Hey. Yeah. But Baruch Hashem. Definitely. And, uh, let's see. Wait, so Sleekha, so it's, it's only those three? Like, or mainly those three? It says during this time, three people. Three prophets. From what I'm reading from me, it just seems like it's those three at this time period. That, I mean, it's you got just, something on that? I was just saying that's really interesting that, you know, Hashem would have obviously these three uh, because, you know, a quarter three strands isn't easily broken. And, you know, you kind of think of the, the whole three legs make a, a edifice or something uh, that's stationary for something to stand. You know, like a chair yeah. or something like that. But um, the fact that it's Zephaniah in the mix with Hulda, like I haven't heard really much about her. And um, obviously, we we know about Zephaniah from the fact that it says like he will rejoice over you like a bridegroom. You know, rejoicing over his bride. And you would think that during this time, why would that prophecy go out? You know, because it's just like imminent destruction is coming, but your bridegroom is rejoicing over you. And it's just like, uh, what? <laughs> it, it, that's interesting you bring up the point because it seems like both Yemenyahu and uh, Zephaniah both had this idea of always relating uh, Israel as the bride of Hashem. What I think is interesting as you're elucidating all these connections, um, it stuck out to me that you have three prophets, two males and one female. And elsewhere, uh, Yirmiyahu, at least in the Midrash, compares himself to a Moshe. Oh. And so it's like you ha you have this idea of these two guys and this one girl all prophesying at the same time. So it's kind of like Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam parallel. Oh, my and goodness. I don't we know just how I did not just realize that. <laughs> What's that? I was just thinking, I don't know how I did not just now realize that. I'm like, wait a minute. We've There's so many connections before. to make that... Like staring at an ocean, there's always going to be a, a, a piece of water or something underneath that you're going to miss. Right. Um, and while we're at it, you know, we talk about Yeshua flipping tables. And it was during a time period of a civil war. Well, there was a, definitely a civil war in his days between the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes. Even though the Sadducees technically are like not really in there because it's sad, you see, that... Oh. <laughs> they aren't really uh, Torah observant, so they wouldn't be part of the in crowd. But you they know. can't even compete in the battlefield. <laughs> right, right. So, but yeah. Anyway, very interesting. Uh, let's talk about his name a little bit. It says Yemiyahu. Oh yeah. It says um, that his name is a con uh, conjugation of two words, which is Yaramka, because it was during his tenure as a prophet that the Almighty lifted the divine presence, the temple, in a series of ten steps, leading it to being removed from the lower worlds altogether. Wow. 
Yeah, it's a completely, it's a very heavy, heavy statement. You know, the whole Shekinah, the presence of God, leaving because of the sins of Kol Israel. And I mean, the same thing happened again with the second temple. That's why it took 40 years, you know, after Yeshua's resurrection to for that one to be destroyed. So we're definitely seeing parallels here. Oh, yeah. And this is this is full of it. Um, in Jeremiah's life, uh, we're about to see uh, also a little little bit more back backstory about like time frames. It says he began prophesying during the reign of the righteous Yoshia. This is the one who eliminated the idols um, erected by Menashe, King Menashe, oh, oh. and he prophesied during the thirtieth, uh, the thirteenth year of Yoshia's reign, and continued to prophesy through the reigns of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah who, unlike their father, was uh, um, a very, very wicked king. And you mentioned parallels. Yes. And one one thing we, we've talked about before, and I think this was the last half tour we did about uh, in Judges and Shoftim. It's with Yiftach. Yeah, Yiftach. And we talked about he would he came from a, a blemish lineage. Yes. And we compared that to David and, and to Yeshua. Uh-huh. And... Yes, and we mentioned we actually mentioned this before because I think we did another half tie, half tour that was in Yermahu. He is actually a descendant of Rahav and Yehoshua. Oh, yes. And so we talked about Rahav, and she was a convert to Judaism, and uh, she married Yehoshua, yeah. uh, Moshe's successor. I think that was Parsha Shalak when we were talking about the uh, the spies being sent in by Yehoshua. Oh yeah, Shalak. Full circle here. I mean, it's just like the the Jewish literature and oral Torah is like consistent or something. I know it's you, the more you more you read, the more you see it's really just like you see Achad. You see the oneness within Scripture, and that truly is not divided. But like Yiftach, like David, um, uh, Yeshua, even there's this there's this constant theme of they refused to accept him and his words yes. because of his lineage. Seriously? So, yes. Wow. So many Jews actually snubbed him for this because he was a descendant of Rahab, mm-hmm. who was a harlot, mm-hmm. married Yehoshua, and they refused to accept his reproof. But Pasuk wants to stress that Yermayahu's father was indeed a distinguished person. And so that's why uh, Kilachayahu's name is actually brought up. Wow. within uh, this half Torah. And cool. it's interesting, it says, in reality, the Almighty had purposely chosen Rachav's descendants to rebuke B'nai Israel, for he said, let the descendant of a lowly woman who became a great reproof to the Jews, who are of lustrous descent, yet who have sunken so low. B'nai Israel's conduct is inferior to Rachav's. She used her roof to hide the spies. The Jews used their roofs to erect idols. She used flax sticks to have saved the spies, saying, Give me a truthful sign that you will keep my family and me alive. And the Jews shun the truth and speak lies. Of course, this is during the time that Yeremah is living that they're uh, disobeying Hashem's command. Wow. That right there was like collarbone breaking. Wow. Yes. And so he used a, uh, he used the convert and the, the son... Of, of course, the great great grandson of a convert to shame the Jews, to shame the Jews at the time, his fellow brothers and sisters at that time, and lead them to repentance. You know, and it's no different today, and no different in the 
and the time to come, uh, Bezrat Hashem, the time to come is closer than we uh, would hope because, you know, as Mashiach is closer to returning and the temple is closer to being rebuilt, you know, there are more and more converts, you know, like this is the thing. And so just want to do a quick encouragement to everyone, uh, including ourselves as converts. By Jewish law, first of all, it's not supposed to be brought up who's a convert. But to go on to the next phase is that even if you are a convert and it's not brought up, never, ever doubt your legitimacy because so much attack is placed on, you know, well, are you really a convert? And when when did you convert? And who converted you? And all that kind of stuff. And so it's just... Uh, it's a very interesting place to be positional wise as a Yehudi because the the level of rebuke and the level of impact that a convert has on the Jewish community is it's insane, really, you know. So just from listening to Yermiyahu and Rehav and Hilkiyahu, like that's a that's a get you some kind of portion right there. So, you know, it's okay, converts. You know, we're we're good. We're we're gonna move forward. Exactly. I mean just like you look at what Hashem says, like he uses Rachav and he favors her. Why? Because she sincerely repented and she turned toward Hashem. What what you're saying is, is absolutely wonderful. It goes to so show you it's not a matter of necessarily birth or if your lineage is flawed or if you have uh, a prestigious lineage or not it's about are you striving uh in torah and are you pursuing hashem and his ways and uh, are you trying to please your father in heaven you know the comment you made about rechav using her roof to hide the spies as opposed to what the roofs were later used for by the Yehudim of erecting idols. I mean, wow, that is such a heavy contrast, you know? Yes. Because at that point, it doesn't matter who your parents are. You know, it's just kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> because who are you, are you? Are you following your parents at that point? Right. Or am I who's brethren following Hashem at that point when they were setting up idols? They weren't acting like the sons that they that they were born into. So, one so speaking other, on this, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say one other quick thing. I was just kind of noticing, you know, with the the uh, lineage here with Rahab to Hilkiyahu to Yermiyahu, you know, we have the same lineage pointed out with Pinchas, you know, that it's Eleazar or Eleazar and uh, Aharon, because it was said that Eleazar married one of the daughters of Yitro, and so they were the community was trying to put this um, this stigma, so to speak, on Pincus, like, who does he think he is? And that's why he killed Zimri, because, you know, he's just like that idol worshiper Yitro, which, by the way, Yitro converted, so I don't know how that even stood, but, you know... It's just so, kind of interesting with when you kind of look at even those parallels again, like what, how did the the sages, you know, come up with the Haftarah for Pincus to be so closely related? I'm, I'm really glad you're 
you're shining a light and highlighting uh, this pattern and this issue because, like, again, you see this pattern. You see there's this constant uh, insult and, and spite and disregard for even great Sadakim within Scripture because of their lineage. Mm-hmm. It was blemished, or they were the, the son or the grandson or grandchild of a convert, and therefore they're not as worthy. And you see the pattern, but constantly you see Hashem shame these people who says, are you kidding me? These, these are, these are my, my children. They're following after my past more than, more than you are at this time. And so I think it's healthy for us to shine a light on this concept and really shed this, this mentality and this clip that has attached ourselves and to this generation to say that you know, if you're a convert, then you're, you're less than, or if you come from a lineage that isn't pristine, then you're, you're less than unworthy. That's a completely uh, false mentality and ideology. I mean, so let's get rid of that. Yeah. So on this concept of birth, there's an interesting midrash that says, um, the words before you left the womb, I sanctified you, Dr. Yamahu, mm-hmm. says it indicates that he was born circumcised oh. like other Sadakim, such as Adam, Noah, Shaim, Yaakov, Yosef, Moshe, Yov, Samuel, and David. You said Yov? So, yeah, I, I was unaware. I never heard of that, that Midrash until, you know, going over this. But Yov was actually, it says he was born circumcised. You know what's a beautiful thing about that is? Is when I was learning during all of the crazy backstory gathering and collecting of Bilam and Balak. You know, it was saying that Eov is among the prophets to the Goyim. Like, he oh, wow. was considered like a non-Jew, but like he had this this level in his gift of prophecy. And even so much so that he, if he didn't convert, I don't know how this would be possible, but he apparently ended up marrying Dina. So... Uh-huh. At some point, there was a, a breach of some sort, and it sounds like it was from his birth, even though... Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm interrupting myself. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So, never mind about... Okay. So, he's a prophet to the Goyim, and he's born circumcised. So, get this. So, if he converted or whether he didn't, since he had a breach malah by Hashem, because that's the only way you're born circumcised. And obviously there is the intricacies of doing the Hatafat dumb breed and all that, which I'm going to go ahead and say he did since he's counted as exotic. But that's either here nor there. What I'm thinking about is the fact that he's a prophet to the Goyim, following in the footsteps of Yonah, following in the footsteps of I don't know, like a certain distinguished gentleman named Rabbi Shaul, who was to take the Basora to the Goyim. He was one of the main people that did that. Obviously, Kepha did a little bit of that, and I would go ahead and guess, you know, educatedly, of course, that some of the other Talmudim of Mashiach Yeshua did that as well, but seeing that type and shadow here of, you know, going to take Torah to the nations. Uh, We're having a technical difficulty. Stand by. I'm going to 
Okay, are you there? Wow. Technical okay. difficulties. Yes. Okay. You left off saying um, something about uh, the distinguished gentleman of Shaul. That's the last thing I heard before we got cut off. Oh, wow. Okay, so again, Moshe's running back up here, so we're, we're, we're good to go on all what I said. <laughs> but uh, for the sake of repeating, that I was basically saying, you know, Rabbi Shaul, some of the other Talmudim, uh, namely Kepha and things like that that we know of, have been taking Torah to the Goyim, you know, and bringing them in, converting them. They're not remaining as Goyim. So to think that it was uh, at the Brit Hadashah or at the Shavuot where the tongues of fire came down in Acts chapter 2 or later in Acts 15 with the letters that went out to the different congregations. To think that that's the beginning of Torah to the nations, I mean, it's always been, you know, and for the fact that Eov is a prophet to the Goyim, I mean, I think that's just absolutely just mind-boggling to me right now that all that is just coming together like this isn't new <laughs> exactly and that's interesting uh, mentions that coming after the the half tour of the the prophet given to the nations be them uh, it's interesting it comes after this that parsha which he prophesied <laughs> mashiach i mean what dude it, it mentions it mentions here in this midrash that there are a few commentaries that actually say that the heathen prophet Belam was born circumcised as well. Oh. What made him qualified um, to receive communication with the You know, there, there's others that say it was because of Allah. Uh, oh, like his, his, he had, one of his eyes was removed. Right. And because his eyes were constantly looking at evil, so the presence wouldn't rest within him. And so that's where the Shekinah would dwell and for him to be able to have prophetic visions. So there's different, different opinions, but. I think that the part about him being born circumcised is, is interesting. Well, all right, then. That escalated really quickly. <laughs> Man. All right, let's see. On the verse, even before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you to be worthy of receiving prophecy. It's in uh, 1.5. Because you left the womb, I sanctified you by appointing you as a prophet. It says in the word at Sar. I formed you. The word actually contains an extra vav, whose numerical value is six. Oh. And it talks about this hints the fact that Yermahu had already been chosen for his mission during the six days of Rashid, of, of oh, creation. Oh, my word. word. And I'm going to continue to come back to that point. It says, even before Yermahu was born, his parents conduct themselves with a special so as to invest their son with Kadashah. He was given an ashama with the potential for the attainment of a very exalted level of Kadashah, as well as wisdom. And this reminds me of uh, the story of Shimsum that we talked about before and and wow. how we compared that to Yeshua, how they were chosen. And even um, even Yochanan, uh, the immerser, you know, his parents, it says his parents were righteous. Yes. They were horrible. And because of this, you know, they, they merited have to have children who were who were very, very righteous people. And so you have this pattern. That's legit. Wow. This, that idea of, you know, being chosen from from birth, from from the very womb, and sometimes even before that, and having righteous parents, that pattern continues on. And what's interesting, they deduce this by saying that the word I formed you contains an extra vav. 
And so this is this is the thing that hints the fact that he was chosen since the six days of creation. And what's interesting about the Vav is um, one of the rabbis comment that its shape resembles a column. And his book about the the Hebrew letters, he goes on the comment in the Talmud. There's a there's idea of the pillars that support and hold creation together. Mm-hmm. And there's three different opinions. There's one that there's 12 pillars, seven, and there's one. And the answer is, of course, yes. Because each opinion actually a different aspect of reality. And what's interesting is you have the pillar of one, the model of one pillar, mm-hmm. is he said secret of the ultimate dependence of all reality on the potential hidden half of the fourth dimension future from this perspective all stands on the future so it says that the hebrew word for future means ready it says that the and this is the secret of the soul of the mashiach to come throughout time from his very beginning even before everyone so it goes on talking about how this this the pillar of one vav it alludes to like the future, the what everything is is supported on, and this is like the very soul of Mashiach. So this this word that says I formed you, it's with an extra vav. This is what Yeremiah to this extra vav, the soul of Mashiach. So, and so the soul of Mashiach basically is being formed here, or at least a t- in type and shadow, if not like. Yes. Even more of a remez uh, with Yermiyahu. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, because of this, you're going to say that you see the same patterns within uh, events around Yeshua's birth. And, we, you know, him being destined before that, him being named before that, him being uh, him being having the righteous parents is the same as Yermiyahu. Wow. So, what was There's the this... source that you uh, just dropped on that? Mm. Yitzhak Ginsburg. Yitzhak Ginsburg, okay. Yes. Wow. And so he he dives deep into each letter and aspect of each letter. And there's, you know, it says, uh, Midrash says, you know, Hashem look into the letters of the Torah. Right. And the world. And so this parallels, you know, in the, in the light of man, you know, the word of God. And so there's a there's a, a deep parallel between Yeshua and these letters that were created that the whole world was formed with. Well, there's your formed with Mashiach drop right there. As far as when you really start looking at Mishlei eight, you know Proverbs eight, and how you talk about wisdom was the the uh, nursling or the craftsman in the hand of Hashem to bring forth creation. So yeah, man. that's definitely there. So uh, just so you know that at points in time as you're talking, sometimes it kind of cuts in and out. So um, trying to kind of reiterate some of those things that are kind of dropping out. So if you ever hear me doing that, that's why. Okay, sorry. Um, maybe my mic's, mic's moving. If I hold it still, it'll be better. Is this better? It is, but it, I mean, I'm saying it's sometimes it's making you sound like you're uh, talking as a robot, and so you're kind of getting an oscillating voice. Okay. But you know, all good. Hashem may clear the airways. I mean. All right. 
is uh, interesting midrash. There's a little little bit more. One last thing about Yamahu's birth. It's a short version of story time. Story time. <laughs> Come on. It says an amazing incident took place at Yamahu's birth. The newborn, the newborn scream resembled that of a young man. Hashim miraculously put words in the infant's mouth, and the bystanders were dumbfounded to hear him cry out plaintively, The insides of my body hurt. My heart trembles and moans. I cannot soothe it, for I hear the sound of a shofar of war and punishment. Turning to his mother, the infant reproved her. You are, perhaps you have secluded, you have been secluded with the strange man, in which case you must drink the water, the bitter waters of the sota. His mother was understandably shocked to hear such words leave her newborn baby's mouth. But he immediately explained, my words are not directed at you personally, mother. Rather, they are a prophetic message for Zion and Yushalayim. The Jews adorn their daughters with bright garments and golden ornaments, but because they sin, the enemies will soon come and capture them. Wow. And so it's an interesting, interesting story. Uh, very unique. It reminds me like out of, um, out of the mouth of babes versus out of the mouth of babes. Man, I had like so many guards over my mouth because I just wanted to like scream out like all this stuff. And that was one of them. Do it. Go for it. <laughs> Well, you talk about the fact that, you know, Hashem miraculously caused the infant screams to be like the sound of a man. You know, that also happened with Moshe crying out. There's a midrash on Moshe being in the reeds on the Nile. And it was kind of like the voice of a young child was crying, you know, and that's what caught Batya's attention to like go over there and find him that it wasn't so much of a a baby crying out you know as opposed to it was the the voice of a child but um you know I always wondered you know what the midrash of Mashiach's birth would be you know as far as like the people visiting him and uh, you know, there are stories about the infants, you know, as they're born, they're walking around, they're talking and having conversation, you know. And so I would always just would love to hear, you know, if there was anything on like what what was it like to visit Yeshua, you know, when he was just born? Because, you know, his birth being around Sukkot and all the rejoicing and the celebrating that's going on and things like that. And if Hashem could put words of prophecy in the mouth of Yermiyahu, which we just talked about, he has a type and shadow of Mashiach being formed in him, how much more so with Yeshua himself, you know? Yeah, and that would, that would be an interesting midrash if we had it. I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, or, or see if there's some sort of document, you know, about uh, Yeshua's birth and, and what took place around that and like morning would be incredible i hate to be derek downer you know instead of debbie downer but uh <laughs> you said what i say i would hate to be derek downer as opposed to debbie downer because i'm a guy you know uh but you know that doesn't exist because you know that's under lock and key because you know you can't have too much of that jewish stuff in the brit hadashah interpretation Luckily, we have the Torah and the words Mashiach, who 
says like it explains about himself through the Torah, through the the uh, the prophets and the writings. And, that's and so all I, I believe, I believe, um, you know, maybe this is, you know, judging from the, those verses, you could assume that these, the midrashes on the half Torahs, on the Torahs, on the Torah and on the writings parallel in some ways the aspects of Yeshua's birth. And so maybe we're, we're searching for the midrash of his birth and of his different events in his life. I mean, because, you know, to to definitely agree with everything you said, I would also say that, you know, not only is what what we have is like, I mean, it's Brugashem, it's more than enough. But the cool thing is, is because we're diligently searching out these things, you know, because that's the glory of kings to search out these mysteries. But either way, like Hashem is going to allow these things to come out, even if men try to hide it, which is what I think is so incredible about this whole entire thing. Like man can say Torah is no good or the Midrash is crazy or none of that rabbinic stuff. And it's like man can say that all day. But in the end, only Hashem's word will stand, you know. And that's what we're really diving into right now. Like, are you kidding me with the birth of Yermiyahu? Like, this is intense. So, so yeah, like, either, either way, Hashem so is us covered. <laughs> All right. I agree. That's awesome. Let's see. Okay, so we talked about the birth of Yermiyahu. Um, we normally do like a character introduction, so I know that kind of counts as that, but uh, is there any other uh, insights you would like to share on him? No, I think that's that's it for as far as elucidating some of his backstory, a little bit about his birth, a little bit about the time period, other people um, who prophesied with him, but uh, I guess we can go into links with the, the Parsha. Which this won't be slightly different, okay? Because um, because the placement of this this half tour, as far as where we are in the calendar and these the three weeks of mourning, mm. um, the half tours are no longer going to at least for a little bit are no going to longer to going to align so much with the the Torah portions. They're now going to start to align with these three weeks, which is but, interesting, even though. They're doing that. They're still correlating to the tour portion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, there's, there's to, always parallels you can find. Yeah, you have to dig a little bit, but I mean, really, they they're still correlating. Yeah, and so right here you have uh, on on the Shabbatot of the three weeks of the morning from the seventeenth of Tammuz and ending with the ninth of Av, we read that the three half tours of punishment. Followed by the seven half tours of consolation and two half tours of teshuva, and so the the purpose of this half tour of punishment is not to reminisce about the past, but it's rather to help us to analyze our short causes of the exile, help us to rectify them so that the future Beit Hamikdash can be built. Wow. Okay, that's super profound, and I would like to definitely say I agree. 
And it's like this year, like out of all the years that, you know, going through the three weeks, it's like during this time, for the first time ever, I felt like this stirring of like this morning will soon be rejoicing, you know, and it's like even though we're mourning, there's an element of joy to it because we're we're using this time to really anticipate and build up like you just said. So I think that's incredible to definitely emphasize that even though this is we're looking at, you know, punishment, so to speak, it's actually reproof. And it's like, use this time diligently, you know, for buildup. Yeah, and that's, that's like an incredible point you made and that that should be our focus. What's interesting is that is uh, con- what you said. You just elucidated what is concealed with how we talk about these these three weeks mm. because we refer to them as the three weeks of mourning. We don't necessarily, you don't hear it typically said that it's the 21 days of mourning. Right? That, that's actually alluded in this, this half Torah. Um, Hashem compares it to this almond tree. It says in verse 1, you have seen well the almond rod hints that I will rush to fulfill my word to punish the Jews for their sins. It talks about in, in the Midrash, it says the fruit of the almond tree matures days. Hinting at the 21 destruction moves until its end of the ninth. Walls of Jerusalem were breached and the Beit HaMikdash was burned. It says he went on, on to uh, compare the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash to, of all things, a maturing fruit, indicating to Yermahu that his sole motive in destroying the Beit HaMikdash was to revitalize and reconstruct the Jewish nation. Yermahu was commanded to uproot, break, and demolish, the purpose of which was to build and replant. And so this is, it's like this huge, it's a very interesting concept that the whole idea of destroying the Beit HaMikdash was to revitalize, revitalize and reconstruct the Jewish nation. What does Yeshua say? He says, tear down this temple, I'll build it up in three days. The whole purpose for his, for his death and for his sack was to revitalize us. I am so glad you repeated that because you just dropped something so heavy that the signal was like, ah, I can't take it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And even even within the the numbers, and I know you're you're a huge number guy, and I love it, and I love connecting with you on on that point. And we have we have these 21 days, and 21 is the same gematria for Aleph Hey Yud Hey, Believe which that. is one of Hashem's names uh, that he reveals to Moshe in the, the burning, burning bush. bush. And so you have this idea of these 21 days of mourning and also 21 is the same gamacha as yod hey vav which is hashem's name without the hey at the end like his it's incomplete name if you will and so you have these 21 days of mourning mourning who mourning to shem mourning the one that they have pierced yeshua it's not referred to as the 21 days now the three weeks it's not really referred to the 21 weeks, 21 days of mourning, right? We tend to neglect this aspect of the one we're mourning for. Like Yeshua says, like, they'll mourn for me when I'm gone. And 
so like this aspect and you you see this even even today um a lot of our brothers and sisters in uh, the jewish world we um we tend to to not so focus on Mashiach ben Yosef, on the suffering servant, the, the one who had to be slain to begin the process of salvation. Instead, we tend to focus on, you know, the three days, right? It says the three weeks of mourning. Like Yeshua said, I will build it up in three, the three days, focus on rebuilding, reconstruction on this rule, like Mashiach ben David. So there's these two ways of looking at these, this days of mourning. And one is within the morning period of the 21 days, which corresponds to Mashiach uh, ben David, uh, Mashiach ben Yosef, the one who, who, and you have the other way of looking at it, the second way, which is the three days, which is corresponds to rebuilding and corresponds to the third Beit not when Mashiach comes. And so this corresponds to Mashiach ben David, focused on a lot of time. With Mashiach ben Yosef, thrown to the wayside, and then we, we forget him, and this is why we don't accept, many of us don't accept in the Jewish world, uh, Yeshua as Mashiach, even though he is. Believe it. Know that. Trust, Trust that. that. Wow. So, uh, yeah, you definitely need to get some help for that whole three-day, three-week drop. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Man, but uh, was interesting... And, and looking looking into that and diving into that, seeing how the, the 21 days corresponds to the name that Yamahu, uh, like the name that uh, Hashem uh, revealed to Moshe. He said, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Right. Because uh, Yamahu says something that's very reminiscent of what Moshe says at the burning bush. Wow. It says in verse 6, 1 6, you might have 1 6. I explained, Alas, my God, Elohim, I am unfit for this task. I don't know how to speak, for I am young and not worthy of giving Musar to the Jews. Wow. And what does that remind you of? I am a man of slow speech. Yes. <laughs> cool. So, this aspect of the, the speech, you know, some translations, heavy tongue, you know, but either way, it's like this idea of. I don't want to speak. And so you had this idea. He considers himself unworthy. Like he's extremely humble. He doesn't have this overly uh, grand view of himself. Man. And, and Moshe, you know, said, I'm unworthy. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, this idea of humility. There's this also idea. It seems like he, he duels this idea he, uh, of comparing himself. You know, I'm not worthy of giving a, I don't know how to speak. But he also says something, he says, I am and not worthy of giving Musar to the Jews. He, he mentions his youth mm. as another reason he can't speak. And this is extremely interesting because what this reminds me of in the story of Job, we mentioned him earlier. One of his friends who comes to visit him, who is actually favored by Hashem when he speaks. And that would be... Uh, let me get right here. Uh, Elihu. Elihu, really? It says, uh, Rath of Elihu, the son of uh, Barakel, 
the Buzite of the family of Ram, was kindled against Yov. His wrath was kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also, his wrath was kindled against his three friends because they had found no answer, and yet they condemned Yov. Mm. Now, Elihu had waited to speak to Yov because they were elder than he. If there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was kindled. Elihu, the son of Berachal the Buzah, answered, I am young, and you are very old. And didn't show my, you my opinion. Um, I said, days you should speak in multiple years. And he goes on talking, but the the main instant he's young, and because he was young, because he was and the rest of them, he, he speak. He had this hesitation if you will okay you're cutting up uh really badly so you want to try to uh reestablish connection see if that yeah we work. can do that um do you think it might have a to be at the time or you know i'm not really exactly sure but it's getting more and more buzzy as you keep talking about ellie who i think something's up with it so uh -oh. Let's uh let's go to go ahead and take a quick break and then let's re uh start with Elia or Elihu um that little section. Okay. Sounds All right. So apologize for technical difficulties everyone. We'll be right back after this. All right. Shalom and we're back. Shalom. Welcome back. All everybody. Right. Yes. All right. So we're dealing with some technical difficulties here, but uh, we're going to keep pushing forward because that's what Jews do. And um, we were talking about uh, Eov and Elihu. Um, so if we could go back to that tab and uh, kind of restart. All right. So like I said, we, were, we left off uh, connecting Elihu with... Uh, Yermaihu, because one of the reasons he refused to speak, Yermaihu refused to speak, was his his youth. And this is very similar to Elihu. He says, I am young of days, and you are elders. Therefore, I fear to express my mind to you. I said, days shall speak, and many years shall inform wisdom. Yet verily, wisdom is within man, and the soul of the Almighty bestows upon him understanding. Amen. And so... You have this idea that he is he's, he's refusing to speak. We're just making the connection here between Eliu and Yamahu. He refused to speak because of his age. And wow. the word here, the word here in Yamahu is Na'ar. Yes, it is. That's for I am a Na'ar. And if you would if you would love to I'd love to hear your elucidation on Na'ar for for our audience, if you wouldn't mind. Well, First of all, I want to say that Na'ar is a title and terminology to describe Memtet. Second of all, it's also descriptive of Yitzhak and also in the form of Na'ara for Rivka. So you have this idea of the Akida and his bride are called youths. Not to mention that the Cherubim on the cover of the Ark, the Kaporet of the Ark, are two youths that embrace one another. 
<laughs> so, Yosef is also called a Na'ar. And we know everything about Yosef being the type and shadow of Yeshua HaMashiach. So, there's that. And then, as if all of that wasn't enough, Moshe himself is called a Na'ar. So, that word is just, anytime I see that word, I just start throwing stuff. Because I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it has, like, huge uh, messianic implications to it. Really? And, you know, even, even to, to add on to the amazing, amazing list you added, there's also Yehoshua. Cool. So that's the same name of Yeshua, who's referred to as a Nar. Oh, and I, so, thought, I thought I mentioned Yehoshua when I said Memtet. Oh wow! Oh, oh snap! Calm down. That, that was elucidated in, in another Josh. No, <laughs> no I'll just kidding, oh nice, good one. <laughs> just playing now, around, but I mean it's true. <laughs> I was I was a little disappointed um, when I was I, I looked back in uh, with Eli, Elihu and Yov, and he doesn't. I I didn't see him use the word Naar. Oh, but, come on, man. But I did find something better, Rukashem. What? Okay, yes. can I say something real quick? You can. I'd love, love to hear it. Because I already know I'm agreeing. I'm, I'm going to agree with what you about to say. But, um, you know, the Birkat Hamazon that we get to sing on Shabbat now because it's three weeks we don't sing right now. But mm-hmm. in that last bracha, we say... Baruch Hagever Asher Yiftak Badonai Vehaya Adonai Miftako Naar You know, the whole section about, you know, blessed is the man who trusts in Hashem and Hashem will be his security. I was a youth and I have been aged, but I have not seen. The righteous man forsaken and his children begging for bread. Wow. So, Na'ar is just in the middle. Like, anytime you see that word, just duck. You know, it's just going to be... It's going to be cray-cray. That's incredible. So, say say Birka and connect to the (laughs) Na'ar. That's right. I mean, we end with that. You know, like, that's at the end. It's like like this huge stamp that you're... You're stamping in the Mashiach's name, kind of like the uh, the Elenu. I was just about to say that. I was going to be like, and, and the whole thing that we dropped with the Elenu and how you were talking about Yeshua's name concealed in there. So really, yes. Yes. every time prayer happens, the prayers always end in Yeshua's name. <laughs> That's a be- beautiful thing about uh, living a Jewish life and, and studying out the... Jewish literature uh, and the literature of her, of her, of her fathers and our brothers, uh, like to just connect this to the thought that you were bringing down earlier of the whole pattern. You were saying the whole, essentially, the whole pattern is conversion. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Shoal and that they were converting people. It wasn't oh, there's Gentiles, there's Jews. No, there was you know people who might have been born Gentiles but converted to become Jews, and that's how they became uh, the one. One new man and Mashiach. That's right. All right. The one new and man is a Jew. The thing about it is, like, just what we're talking about here, what you brought down in the Birka Amazon, and just going through these different sources, 
there's no way you could be connected to Yeshua HaMashiach if you're not living a Jewish lifestyle. There's, there's, there's no way, and therefore the only option is conversion, period. There's no, there's no other option unless you want to not abide in him and be one of the branches that are, you know, thrown into the fire. <clears throat> Good night. But, you know, that's a swerve. That's a big swerve that you don't have to take, you know, by the way, to the listeners. If you uh, feel like you're not um, in a good standing or if you ever feel like I'm not Jewish and I can't be or I'm not really sure and I need to check this out. okay, you don't have to go on that swerve like you can just bypass all the thrown onto the fireside stuff like just get over here. Come on. Just saying. There's plenty of room. There's more space than 144,000. Just throwing that out there. So, well, I, I completely agree. <laughs> that got extremely violent. So uh, let's move on. <laughs> All right, looking at this uh, verse real quick. Oh, what's wrong? Next. Okay, so we were talking about Ellie who? 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 Ellie who? Okay, so oh, let's. Man. Could you please do the honors of like? elucidating him again and and the yob and all that okay uh so essentially elihu he connects with uh yamaihu because they're both afraid to speak um because of their their youth right. and so this is the idea that that runs through it but yet even because of their resistance even becomes their humility to push forth because they're not esteemed in their own eyes, um, Hashem favors them. And it could even be because of that that trait that he does esteem them, because of the humility. Of course, because those who humble themselves shall be exalted. Yes, wow. exactly. This is what this is actually the, the rabbit trail, if you will, that we're going to get onto here. All right, here we go. Because going... Going back to uh, Ginsburg on the letters, he's actually elucidating the Aleph. Says, he says in this that Elihu is one of the major images of the soul of Mashiach within the Bible. And if you take his name, Elihu bin Brachel, it actually equals the gematria of 358. It's the same gematria as Amet. Mashiach. Mashiach. Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Oh, my goodness. We're not supposed to be singing, but we can't help it. Ah, Sika, Sika. Can't help it, man. You just, you can't. You, I mean, what what are we really supposed to do? Like, I don't know if you really consider my voice singing, but no. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's no. a beautiful voice. Toda, toda. Um, anyway, so but this no, idea. Seriously, bro, like, do you really understand, like, how are we not supposed to sing like being connected to he who is greater than the temple really like trying to pull him out of the heavenlies like it is so hard right now to not just like bust out singing Mashiach you know yeah you see it's like we're we're also looking at the the 21 days as the three as a three weeks yeah. you know as the building of the third temple. We're building that thing up. And so it's just like this uh, divine 
paradox. Man. You know, you have this idea of mourning and yet this excitement for what's to come and this idea of just pursuing it and, and prayer and actions and Torah study and yes. and fellowship. Okay, uh, so, so yeah. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. We can keep rabbit trailing. <laughs> keep rabbit trail. Different rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he mentions that he's young of days, right? And so you have Elihu, whose gamacha equals Mashiach. You have Yermaihu, who uses the term nar, which as you elucidated so so wonderfully, um, that is a messianic idea, right? has messianic connotations as mm. well. And what's interesting, you have, um, you have this idea of youth, right? And mm-hmm. this idea of youth, you know, there's different ways to look at it. There's some people who look at it as a, this negative connotation, uh, unwise, unlearned, you know, just essentially, you know, young and stupid kind of deal. Man. But there's another way to look at it, and I believe it comes with this this messianic idea of Eliyah, Eliyu, saying he's young, and him his name being the Gemachim Mashiach, because the of Nar, which is a youth, and that connotation of Mashiach, it's not necessarily being young and unlearned and unwise, it's the idea of being above and unchanged by the process of time. What? Yes. Because, I mean, you think about it, the idea of youth in a messianic context is the idea of being above and unchanged by the process of time. Like Mashiach says, before Abraham was, I am. Like the very beginning of creation. We have the beginning of the creation, it starts with the bet. So the, the time process of creation begins with this bet. But there's this midrash of all these letters that come before Hashem, and they ask to be the letter that creates the world. A long story short, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a midrash, so it's kind of an idea that seems a little foreign to us. All these letters are coming up and speaking, but there's a picture that they're bringing is what's the important part. To make a long story short, the letter bet is chosen because Hashem says, this is Baraka, this is the, you know, this is for Baraka, this is the blessing, and I want the world to be blessed. I want it to increase. Um, I want to make the world with a blessing. And, you know, essentially there's this dialogue between the letter Aleph and Hashem. And he is asking, you know, why did you not come before me? And he says, essentially, to synopsize it, is the Aleph was too humble to beseech Hashem. He says, you've already chosen the bait. You know, what am, what am I compared to your choice, to your directives? And because of the Aleph, this letter's humble humility, it became the first letter of the Aleph Bey. And so you have this idea of humility linking to the very beginning. And you have the Bey, which is the beginning of time, right? Which it's only because of time that we age. And so you looking at young through the perspective of that, of being something not necessarily foolish, but something timeless because it's so young it predates time itself. And so I think this is like the, the aspect uh, to look at youth, to look at um, Eli, Elihu's idea of, of him being young, to look at Yamaho's idea of him, him being a nar, right? It's not this idea of being young and foolish. It's this idea of being something timeless. And that has the connotation of being humble, right? Yeah. Like, go for it. That was beautiful, and I agree. 
Like, first of all, Na'ar, I got two things I want to say on that. But just to tie back to the whole time aspect of aging, the, again, the Birka Hamazon, the Na'ar Hayeti Gamzakanti. Like, I was a youth and I have aged. Never have I seen the children of the righteous begging for bread. Like, it's right there in that verse. But what I was going to say is over here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, from my Brihada Shah peeps that have been like, how come they're not talking about Timothy? How come they're not talking about Timothy? Well, now we're talking about Timothy. <laughs> because I mean that's what I would be doing that's what I've been doing because before we went to Elihu I was like of course we're going to talk about Timothy right and it's just like hmm let's go let's get some Jewish sources first you know before we get all over there gotta lay some foundation but in this verse in 1 Timothy 4.12 it literally says let no one despise your youth but Make a pattern or be, no, better yet, be, actually is what it says. If you really want to get technical, I'm reading the interlinear right now. It says, <laughs> but be a pattern for the believers. How are you supposed to be a pattern? In your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your amuna, and in your purity. That's a get you some, like... Uh, like uh, just to get you some of get you some right there like you're a youth so let's show it in our speech and our conduct and our love and our and our muna and our purity like you know using our youth like if you're if you're a na'ar like you're walking in those things and there is no room for people to call you stupid or young and dumb or whatever you know like this right here is just Okay, we're going. We're, that's enough. That's too much. Okay, but the other source I wanted to drop over here is the Stone Edition to knock. Picking up stones, about to knock them out right here. It says, of all the prophets charged to remonstrate with the Jewish people to stop their plunge to destruction, none had a more difficult task than Yirmiyahu. He was still a youth when he was given his mission and he spent the rest of his life gamely and vainly trying to persuade a people convinced of its rectitude and the invincibility of its temple to change their ways. You know, and it's almost as if it's like, I want to take a person who is just as resilient as his opposition, and I want to give him the maximum amount of time to do his business. You know, like, just because we're a youth, the fact that we have Torah now and we know what to do with it, we can now spend that much more time here on this earth taking care of some kingdom business. And that's what Yahu did, so... That's all I gotta say. I end my time. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's amazing. Tilda. Wow. I'm getting worked up over here, man. This is. Mm. 
there's this, this, this idea, you know, making, you think about some of these ideas that you brought down about, um, and I have to help me repeat it, but like this idea of like love and purity. And you think about that and that's like negating yourself. That's like making yourself nothing. When you, when you're loving, you're in an aspect of giving, right? Your aspect of, of taking a piece of yourself, a piece of your time, a piece of your, your, your thought process, your creativity, um, Maybe in some case, uh, money or, you know, it doesn't have to be money, but intellect, speech, whatever. And taking that aspect of you and giving it out to another person or something along those lines. Take the idea of, of purity. It's the idea of, uh, it's it's almost this, this selfless idea. Like, you're, no, you're not coming into contact with things that would make you impure. You're not, you're like being pure because you're refusing selfishness desires and drives to come into contact with whatever it is um quick tag yes i agree and you're at you with the purity um context because i just got to study that on yom rishon a little bit with my uh introspection for the the fast of yod zayin tamuz and i was looking at mesalat yesharim on purity and as you're talking about negating yourself and things like that, check this out. It says, purity is the rectification of the heart and the thoughts. Then it goes wow. on to say, it's matter is for a man not to leave any room for one's deeds for the Yetzahara, but rather that all of his deeds be from the side of wisdom and fear of Hashem and not from the side of sin and lust. Wow. End of tag. <laughs> I'm, I'm still stuck on purification is the rectification of man, as you said, his heart and his mind? Of his heart, yes, his heart and his mind, like the heart and the thoughts. Wow. Oh. That's incredible. Are you really create within me a pure heart, clean heart? <laughs> oh, man. And... I'm I'm just thinking about the connotations of that, because um, you think of Hashem as this like if you think of it as the mind, the intellect of His creation, you have the you have His will, Ratzon, yes, right? Yes. It's like His mind, and then you have you have the heart, which is like the Torah, because those are the the beginning and last letter of the Torah, or the yes. Lev heart. Yes, and so. If you want to achieve a connection between his will and the Torah, you have to have this idea of purity if you want to connect his will with, with his teaching. Wow. <laughs> and I guess this is why they say, you know, you know, we, we, we start out our children teaching them the book of Vaikra, the book of Leviticus, uh, because it takes you know, pure a pure soul to to really appreciate like the sacrifices. Are you but the pure me? study about the pure. The oh my word. That's like the foundation of our Imuna. Like the only way we can really grasp and totally like follow Hashem and, and true love and obedience is to be pure, you know, like to the point where it's just like I want you to sacrifice the morning lamb and the evening lamb, you know, every day. Wow. And I want you to eat kosher. And I want you to only celebrate these festivals. Like, and so many other things. And it's just like, 
if we have issues with that, it's because there's a purity that needs to take place. Wow. Man, that's incredible. <laughs> and the Seahawks says, one. come like a child. Become like a child. Yeah. Be pure? Yeah. Oh. And I'm just thinking, and I'm so I'm so glad, like you elucidated this idea of, of purity. There's so many different ways you can go with this. Uh, it, just to take it to a practical note for uh, maybe those who are who are younger listening to this, or anyone who is single. I was listening to to a drosh before. It says one of the things talking about the idea of uh, getting into relationships and how do you understand who the person is you're meant to marry. And what, what stops you from understanding that? And what he was saying, that any kind of physical contact before you're married actually clouds your judgment on whether or not they're, they're the person you're supposed to be with or not. Um, not necessarily anything that's intimate, although that will cloud the judgment, but it says even just like, like touching, kissing before marriage will start to cloud your judgment on these things. And so it just, just a practical note uh, to connect what you're saying, like this whole purity is what connects the mind and the heart and if you don't have this idea of purity to connect that if that's impure in any manner then that's going to be clouded your heart and your mind there's going to be a disconnect there and you're going to be unsure about the the path that you should follow tag go for it wow <laughs> that's it <laughs> so you know that needs to be put in the Birds and the bees talk somewhere. <laughs> My goodness. That is, wow, that's immaculate. <laughs> okay. So now would be a good time probably to swear back to the half Torah. <laughs> Man. Oh, wait, wait. Okay, so we, we're, we're doing this for a reason. We're really? talking about purity and love being as, aspects of selflessness. Yeah. And you, you mentioned another thing was faith. And faith, we have faith in a God who we do not see, and that's an act of selflessness, Ooh. right? We're, we're, not, we're not looking at this, this world, which is aspect of creation, just like we're aspect of creation. You know, we're, we're looking at something that's so beyond us. Yes. And to do that, we have to lose ourselves. Oh. We have to have something, we have to have this complete disconnect from our selfish nature and go beyond and this is, this is the same concept that we talked about, that Aleph being like the most humble letter and Moshe being humble. And you have right here Elihu being humble. You have Yamaihu exhibiting this trait of humility. You have, even it says, uh, Yeshua was humble. And, he wants and so you have followers. this pattern. I was saying, and he wants his followers to be the same way because he says, if exactly. anyone follow after me, he must first deny himself. Or he says, you know, if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. Yeah. I mean, it's this aspect, you must lose yourself. This idea of humility is almost this idea of to become a nothing. Not in the sense of losing your self-esteem, but this idea of, of, of becoming nothing. Focusing on something other than your yourself is... Uh, Rabbi Kingsburg comments as this is nothing to be nothing is the innermost sense of the wisdom of the Jewish soul. It makes you be able to, to be the vessel to be able to con contain this wisdom. Wow. And so it's this idea of being a nothing, being humble before God. This is how you're able to receive his wisdom and be made a vessel to receive his wisdom. I think this is why Mashiach says, you know, you must lose yourself, like deny yourself and follow me. 
Because that's the only way we could really spread his light to the nations. Yes. Amen. You know, that's how Kepha walked on the water. That's how Moshe was able to fend off the angel of death. And even Hasatan, for that fact, at the end of his life. Because he, he lost himself so much that even angels became afraid of him. Because of he what he contained, like his soul did not want to leave his body. You know, if you if you think wow. about how powerful that is for for just a second, that if we lose ourselves to Hashem, how much we could truly gain, and not for selfish reasons, but for the sake of really bringing forth Hashem into creation. Because that's what we're here to do. We're here to establish his kingdom on the earth. Amen. So Amen. you you uh you dropping it down right now. I remember like just when you're saying establish his kingdom on the earth, we're talking to the incredible Talmud, you know, we were discussing this idea of it's we're not supposed to remain like these these separate monks who live this spiritual idea. Mm. You know. The spirit, this so-called spiritual life by separating yourself from the community and, you know, just focusing on completely spiritual. Because in a sense, that's an aspect of selfishness. Oh, come on now. Yeah. Come on Our now. mission as Jews, what he was saying and as we were discussing, is, is to take the physicality of this world and to elevate it a higher level, to a spiritual level. In order to do this... Especially if you are, have been living a life, pursuing after Hashem, a, a Torah-based life, you understand how difficult it is and how much you have to, like, really make yourself a nothing yeah. in order to interact with uh, what you now view as, as like, a, a mundane life. Mm. But it's for the purpose, you have to remember, it's for the purpose of elevating to the spiritual. It's not about you. Ooh. You know, it's not, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's, it's about... It's about taking the physical world, or that, that's people, or that's, that's items, or it's apple we're about to bless, or and before we eat it, you know, it's about taking that and elevating it to a higher level. Boy. And that's what Mashiach did for us. You know, we, we read in Peskit the Rebetai about uh, Hashem made known to the Mashiach the suffering he would endure. Long story short, it said, I will gladly accept it for myself. He came out from under the throne of God into this world to elevate us to a higher level. And you imagine, like for us, like we're thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get out of Shakarit so I can go to work. But Yeshua was like, not trying to have a contest here, but I left the, the throne in Hashemayim. Just, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, he didn't say that, but I mean, that's what the picture is. And that that idea, that idea is within this this Torah portion. What? You know, it, yeah. It he says, um, boy, in verse I'm ten. Boy, you like a spider monkey. <laughs> boy, do it, do it. No, said <laughs> <laughs> verse uh, one ten. See, I have appointed you today over nations and over kingdoms to prophetically foretell and determine whether they will be uprooted, broken, destroyed, and demolished or built and planted each individual case as I will tell you. And so it, it's talking about essentially the backstory is Yerimahu doesn't 
really want to go out and be a prophet because he doesn't want to shame Israel. He doesn't want to shame his brothers and sisters. And so Hashem is giving him this word of comfort. And what he's actually saying is that his sole motive in destroying the Beit HaMikdash is to revitalize and reconstruct the Jewish nation. We read this earlier, but I just want to emphasize it again for this concept. Please says, do. To uproot, break, and demolish the purpose of which was to build and replant. So the whole idea of destruction was for the purpose of of elevation. Like you, you, you see this idea, like even, even when we say a, a bracha over a food, the next process is we, we eat it, we destroy it. And there's a lot of uh, chasadut and Kabbalistic thought that, that teaches about that. It elevates this, this spark. It oh, elevates it back and restores yeah. something like spiritual realms. And oh, wow. you also see this with our, our Torah portion with Pinchas. And when Shem says, I will give you essentially um, the covenant of peace, Shalom, the Vav, is actually broken. And Boy. so, I mean, this, this has huge impl- implications, but essentially um, there's a lot of commentaries that say that Pinchas was, uh, Moshe thought he was going to be the leader who was going to follow him. But because of his act of zealotry, uh, that wasn't a, a quality that a leader should have, and therefore he was he was removed from you know the the one who he would be chosen. He was removed from that uh, that aspect. He could no longer be a leader of the Jewish people. Just because so it's you not know, fitting a leader to enact punishments. Just so you know, right now I'm doing a Mike Tyson stare at you. <laughs> so wow. All right. Well, I I can't feel it. Because yeah. I can't see it. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. Dude, okay. So whenever you're done, I would love to tag. <laughs> All right. I just a uh, couple more points, and I'd love to, love to hear your elucidation and your thoughts um, on, on this matter. But the whole idea of like, the broken Bob, it's like his, his broken image. He, even sac- he sacrificed his position. Oh. He sacrificed his image and the people because, like mm-hmm. you said earlier, they thought he just slayed him because of his blemished lineage. But oh that broken Bob, that broken image, that broken position that he sacrificed actually established shalom, an eternal covenant of shalom. And that's, that's one of the aspects of the, the broken Bob, uh, at, least, at least I believe to be the, uh, one of the aspects of the broken Bob within the word shalom. And so, you know, you also see it with Yeshua, right? He died. He was broken. Right, for our sakes, so that us all of Kal Israel would be revitalized, our whole nation could be re- reconstructed from the inside out. Oh my word! <sighs> Man, so I'd, I'd love to hear your perspectives on on that, or the the elucidations you have and insights you have. Well, I want to first of all say that I agree with everything this man just said, even though it was completely and absolutely uncalled for. But I'm gonna leave hey, it. You in. called me. I'm <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, first of all, yes, the rebuilding, the one new man. I mean, there it is, right there. So you talk about verse ten. And what I saw was the second word, which is, let me get this right. 
It's a big syllable word. Katika. Katika. Sounds like a, a, a Tamagotchi or or a, something from the 90s. But that word, the root of that word is pakod. If pakod sounds familiar to anybody, right now we're about to throw some stuff. What you got? Because that word is first used to herald the birth of Yitzhak, who would be the Akida. No. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Now, what's even more crazy than that is when Pakoti, which is a phrase that uses the same word twice, that is the phrase that was told by Yosef to the children of Israel to know when the Redeemer would come to bring them up out of Mitzrayim. And that's what Moshe shared with the elders of Israel when he arrived to bring them out. So if we're looking at one who is formed and patterned in the likeness of Mashiach Yeshua, the Redeemer, who is a youth right here in this verse, Yermiyahu 1.10. This person who is the Pakod, it says he is the Pakod today, which is Hayom. And not even that, it goes Hayom Haze, which means like this today, like more emphasized. And then it says Al Hagoyim, like to the nations. So now Pakod Pakoti. This remez we're going into here is not just for the Jews, it's also for the nations. And you have yeah. you have this youth who is going to take this remembrance and this appointment and this setting up today. Like today, if you will hear his voice, like it's to the nations. And then it says over the kingdoms, uh, over the kingdoms. So you have this word Malkut, like in other words, repent for the Malkut, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So like it can happen today if you hear his voice. So I'm just like uh, losing it right now because that is insane that the one who is talking about the process of rectifying and uh, revitalizing the people, he is pakod. He is like a herald, a setup, an appointment, and a a phrase of remembrance that, you know, what is going to happen now, this tearing down and this building up, just, just know that it is absolutely certain. And this is not just a promise to the Yehudim, but it's also a promise to the nations that will join themselves to Hashem. And once you join yourself to Hashem, you are no longer a Goy. You become Malkut, which is like you become like a king and a priest, a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. Because that's what Hashem's Malkut is. So, wow. end of text. <laughs> Wow, man, this this one this one verse, I'm 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 still hung up on on you going back to the first word that the root word is used is about 
this whole idea, the whole, so the whole idea, destroying something for the sake of revitalizing and reconstructing goes back to the Akeda. Wait a minute. You're talking about born to die that he may rise again? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like this whole, this, um, that's what I'm saying. That's why I love we're elucidating this because this concept is just like, it's riddled throughout the Torah. Okay, you know that center beam chest piece that Iron Man has? I'm shooting that right now. (laughs) Just because. That's just... And it's interesting that they're mentioning death bringing forth life. Because that's also in this, this, the the Torah portion of Pinchas. You know, he he takes, and I guess a little bit more so on the towards end of uh, Balak, that, you know, Pincus takes the, the spear in his hand and slain Cosby and Zimri he gives life to all of Israel. All of Israel by a sacrifice. And, yes. And what's, what's interesting Boy. is Ramkal actually brings down, he did this through the, the power of Yitzhak. Oh, my God. Yeah. He says... Through the power of Yitzhak, Pincus was able to combine death. And he elucidates this from the very fact that Pincus took a spear in his hand. And so he, he, he focuses on the word for spear, um, Ramach, which is, is Reish Mim Chet. Yes. And he says the Mim represents Mot. And what's, what's surrounding the Mim is a Resh and a Chet. And this has the numerical value of 208, which equals the name of Yitzhak. And so Yitzhak was able to contain death. And that's how that's how Pincus was able to stop this plague, was through the taking the spear in his hand. Taking, this is how Pincus was able to stop the plague, by taking the Ramach, the spear in his hand, by taking the power of the Akeda, the sacrificial son, in his hand, he was able to... Uh, to contain and eventually direct it towards his enemies directed towards the ones deserving what's also interesting is the word that he says mim stands for death well also the mim uh can also stand for moshe mashiach right yes sir. who who, uh, who took death upon himself in order to halt this plague wow and you know the gematria of Ramak is 248. Mm-hmm. Number of words in the Shema. Also the gematria oh. of Avraham. Yes. And also, my tag in here, a green tag. Cool. It's the bones of the human being. Really? Yeah, they say, they say it's the bones of the human being. And so... You have this idea of him taking the spear. Like, what is that really alluding to? The bones of Yosef. Yes. The bones of y'all. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> the bones of you. Yeah, that's, that's an incredible connection. The bones of Yosef. Who is Yosef? Remembrance uh, of Mashiach ben Yosef. Yeshua HaMashiach. Right? He took the bones in hand. Now, you know... And not one of them was broken, right? Come on, man. Come it was on. complete. That's right. So you could say it was complete, like Shalem, right? He took the, the, whole... the Pesach lamb, because, you know, that's the one that doesn't have any broken bone. Exactly. 
Okay, so what I was gonna say is that the homiletic interpretation of bones in Hebrew, atzim, or atzmot, is also the word for essence. So to take the essence of Yosef, to take the essence of the Pesach lamb, to take the essence of Yeshua, the spirit. Yes. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. spirit. At spirit. Oh, come on. (laughs) Spirit. I see what you did there. But spirit. Man. I'm always going to remember that that midrash now. Oh, nice. (laughs) Say that song. (laughs) Wow. Dude, that was intense. I can't believe you just rom called us. Like, really? Did you, Man, you did, did you got you it? You did it first with the the Mishlat Yesharim. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Boy, you better so, go head on before something else happens. <laughs> uh, oh man, might like it. <laughs> the whole idea of appointing alludes to just reiterating this whole concept. This whole verse one ten. It I have appointed you. Uh, the word uh, you said katika. Alludes to alludes to uh, Yitzhak, the sacrificial son, yes. and this whole verse is about destroying for the sake of revitalizing, and so just kind of reemphasizing the point. You connect that with Yeshua, his death, his um, resurrection. It was all for the sake of revitalizing us, and so it's not it's not a foreign concept. It's not a a pagan concept. It's a Jewish concept. Come on. And and it's it's one with the Torah, it's one with the prophets and the writings. It's a, it's one idea. And I'll give you another concept. Go that, for it. That the next few uses of Pakad after Yitzhak is all about Yosef being set up as an overseer. Oh wow. And put in charge. So that that connects with the concept we talked about earlier about the 21 days and the three weeks. Like 21 days is a process of like mourning, destruction, and the three the three weeks alludes to looking forward to the third temple that will be built when we will be when Mashiach will, will reign. You know, Israel will be restored to to greatness again. And so, like you said, it, it starts with Yitzhak, sacrificial son, and that's awesome that it even connects to Yosef reigning yeah, because right. you know just and Yosef you know Mashiach Ben Yosef was the suffering servant if you will became the reigning king that's right and so it goes to show you that they're the it's the same same Mashiach mm. and his his different his different comings wow so thank you <laughs> this has been an awesome awesome elucidating just verse 10 <laughs> Of this half tour with you, man. Bavakasha, toda raba to you. Oh man, Bavakasha and toda as well. There's a uh, here. There's this kind of uh, these cryptic imageries later in verse twelve, and in verse like thirteen, it talks about an almond, an almond tree, an almond rod, and it talks about this boiling pot. Oh yeah. So I'd like to get into this. You're up for it? Oh, I'm I'm more than up for it. Alright. So the verse says, verse one twelve in Yamahu. Okay. Hashem said to me, You have seen well 
Well, let's start, let's start at verse 11. And Hashem's word was to me as follows. What do you see in your prophetic vision, Yemiyahu? I replied, I see a rod of an almond tree. Hashem said to me, you have seen well. The almond tree, Sheked, hints that I will rush Sheked to fulfill my word to punish the Jews for their sins. And well, there's, this, there's this question that is, is brought up. It says, you know, Yeremah, who was divinely inspired to see this prophetic vision, why is Hashem complimenting him by saying, you saw well? <laughs> and so, why? that's what he says. Why? says, uh, there's a little, little backstory about Yamahu, and you mentioned this before about him being on such a great prophetic level. It says, um, they, the prophets had different levels, and Yamahu actually achieved the highest of these levels by the prophets. And so, what, what he's saying you saw well is that he chooses to use the word makel for rod rather yeah. than rather than the one for twig or uh, mate staff mm-hmm. um and so he's hinting he's in- hinting that if hashem would have punished the jews he should remember the merit of their forefathers and use a measure of mercy and so i was like okay well what does makel rod have to do with the forefathers well if you take the last letters of their names, Abraham, right, with a mem, Yitzhak, with a kuf, and Yisrael, with a lamed, you get makel, rod. And so, uh, he's he's saying that even, essentially, like the, the merit of the forefathers will protect them. Oh, my word. And so, and then, and so with, with this, um, it's interesting because in Midrash Tamkuma, it, com- it, it compares and contrasts Mashiach to the forefathers and essentially says that he will be greater than the forefathers Ooh. and greater than Moshe. Ooh. And so there's this connection between the merit of the forefathers and the merit of Mashiach. And what's even more interesting is Mim Kuf Lamid the gematria of 170. Yes, it does. Which is same gematria as Anan, which is cloud or covering. Good like night. to hide. And we listed this before. Um, one of David's sons, Anani, and it talks about Midrash Timkuma as well, that this is a name of Mashiach. Mm-mm. And so what what is he really, he's pointing to Makel, that is going to be, he's using this word to indicate that Hashem should remember the merit of the forefathers. And also, I would, I would, I would uh, I'd like to uh, offer up this opinion that he's, he's allowing for Mashiach, the hint of Mashiach, to cover, uh, to, to cover the people in their sins. Tag. And go for it. I agree. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, th- I thought you were going to say something about the cloud and the wilderness and how that protects them from snakes and scorpions. So <laughs> I could, but I'm going to let you do that. <laughs> okay, well, there's also a verse that uh, in the Brit Hadashah, in the Basura, uh, more specifically, that Yeshua talks about, talking about asking the Father for whatever you want, and 
how an earthly father wouldn't even give you if you ask for this or that he wouldn't give you a snake or a scorpion oh my and goodness. those are the things that the cloud protected them from wow. and so Yermahu, he's he's asking for the the protection of the people he's asking for that the merit of the cloud anan to to cover the people and to have a measure of mercy for them so and so Hashem's definitely not going to give him snakes and scorpions. He's going to answer his plea. And this is one of the reasons why Hashem says, you did well, because you pleaded on my people's behalf, just like Moshe did. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, okay, I, I was going to tag, but I, I'm just not now, so I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> okay, well... A second interpretation, and maybe you'll we'll, you'll tag in, <laughs> tag in with that. Um, but another another is is the beginning letters of I see an almond tree. There's another reason why Shem said you did well. The beginning letters of the phrase I see an almond tree. Uh, it is Shin Aleph Resh, which spells out the word for relative, and. Um, the, the rabbis have commented that our closest relative, even in, even Rashi in his works when it mentions the closest relative in the Torah, he says this is referring to one's wife. Wow. And so why was Yermahu uh, hinting about a closest relative, about a wife to Hashem? It was to entreat Hashem to once again consider, to consider that, that even at a time of harsh punishment, that the Bnei Israel, the children of Israel, were, after all, wed to him. They were his bride. <laughs> and so this is why Hashem, Hashem says, um, like, you did well. Because he's, he's happy that Yermahu, he has he is focused his, his intellect and, and his heart and his kavanah and his prayer to pray on behalf of the Jewish people. And you know that that's hinted within uh, within the Torah, like when Moshe is pleading for behalf of the people um, after the, the golden calf and several other instances. You see Hashem; He says, "Leave me alone, Moshe, that I may destroy the people." And we kind of interpret that, you know, just on the face value level of, okay, well, Hashem wants to destroy his people. How could he love them? But what he's doing. In that moment, he's hinting to Moshe the action that he should take. And so he's saying, if, if you say, leave me alone, leave me alone that I may destroy the people, you know, what is Moshe thinking? Okay, well, what if I don't leave you alone? Does that mean you won't destroy the people? Wow. And so Hashem is always, even if it seems like he's, he's against, against B'nai Israel, uh, what he's really doing, he's hinting, he's giving us a direction that we should take and that direction that we should take is always to, to pray on behalf of uh, brothers and sisters of B'nai Israel that they should have mercy. Tag. Like Yeshua says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But go ahead. I agree. And I'm so glad you brought that point up because Rabbi Griffin, Captain Yisrael, gave an amazing insight on that uh, a few weeks ago on Shabbat. 
but to your point about praying, even in the midst of all of this, Luke 23, 34 says, but Yeshua was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And this is when he was, of course, being uh, brutalized as far as the crucifixion and the whipping and the mocking and the scoffing. And just so people can be aware, because some, well, no, not sometimes, all the time, just about this is forgotten, that the Jews did not crucify Yeshua. The Romans did. Uh So the people that are punching him and crucifying him and dividing up his clothes right now is a bunch of Romans, not really Jews. But not even to get into the semantics of that, but for the sobriety aspect, please know that, believe that, trust that. However, the people who subjected him to this are Jews, are the the religious leaders that were set up as puppets because, you know, there weren't really true Kohen Gadol's running the temple so what religious leaders were really uh endorsing this but this whole section right here when yeshua is saying forgive them for they know what they do that's indiscriminate you know like it's not just let me forgive just the jews or let me just forgive these romans or let me just forgive these greeks or pontius or any like he's saying forgive them father forgive them they don't know what they're doing, you know, and it's just like for everyone witnessing this, for everyone that's participating in this, for the actual executioners, it's like forgive them. Like even in the midst of all this horrible judge judgment that's going out and injustice, it's just like there's a prayer here. There's a prayer for those who are clearly in the wrong on so many levels. It's just like forgive, just like Moshe, just like you just said with Moshe with the golden calf, you know, and things like that. So, just want to share that. Wow, that's true, and that's like like an in- incredible and like that's a necessary concept to really draw into yourself. I mean, and uh, that's something that needs to be like at a, the forefront of our minds of you know instead of just ready to criticize. You know, we're ready, ready to to speak destructively. We should follow the footsteps of Mashiach, who says, "Forgive them; they know not what they do." I mean, you know, and like, like I think in order to do that, you have to be like Yermahu and oh. Moshe, oh. who, when they you come to the fire of Hashem, oh. you you have to say that, like, I'm a youth, like I'm a, you know, I'm slow of speech. Wow. You know, what, what, who who am I? Like like we say in our, our morning prayers, you know, who are we? What is our strength? What is our righteousness? Did you just it's, pull out the Siddur on us? I can. <laughs> no. Man. No, you did. You, you you did. Yeah. I mean, it's it's engraved, you know. I mean. Oh, written like on your heart. Oh, my no. God. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, um, you know, like what Rabbi Rabbi Griffin said in one of his, in his past drafts is, one of the the foundational books you need to start off getting, you know, if you, you're coming to this walk, you're new to it, or um, living an observant life, Jewish lifestyle, 
is to have a Sador. Oh, my word. I totally agree with that. Man. And I mean, it's necessary. It's necessary for connection to Hashem to, to, to pray out of. And, and even the, the concepts written in there were like Yermahu's words. They were carefully constructed by great Sadakim who wanted us to, to know the format, how to come before the King of Kings, mm-hmm. how to how to, to formulate a prayer that, that we pleasing to him. That's not to negate personal prayer whatsoever, but I think it's it's an important concept that their their word should be taken taken very seriously and should be focused upon. Because we see right here, Yamahu, he put his words in such a manner to plead on behalf of an A Israel. And I would also like argue that, that so did so did all the sages who constructed our um, the liturgy in our Sador. You know, I, I totally agree with that. And I was thinking about the whole fact of being slow of speech. That doesn't necessarily mean having a speech impediment, but being one who would think more than they actually open their mouths. You know, it's like before I'm actually going to say something, there's been so much thought that has taken place that when I finally do speak because I've been so slow to do it, you know, like what's going to come out now? Right, and just just to take that thought, if your your mind is constantly on Torah, mm. and you know, and if you're allowing, you know, the the words coming coming towards you to enter your mind and to process before you speak, if it's in a mind that's constantly thinking about Torah and and Hashem and and His His will, then what's going to come out of your mouth? And there's another elucidation to Mark 7. It's not what goes into the mouth of man. It's what comes out that makes him defiled. <laughs> wow. You wow, just that's, that's did awesome that. awesome connection, man. You just dropped that out so beautifully by the Ruach HaKodesh, I uh, presume. <laughs> man, you're the one who connected that, so <laughs> I, can't, I can't take credit. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> Wow, I never thought there'd be commentary on that. <laughs> Needs to be. No. <laughs> um, but you you mentioned you mentioned um, Mashiach Yeshua and his his death upon the execution's sake. Yes. And I believe there's this uh, that that concept of what was going down on the spiritual level um, is actually brought down in this in this half tour portion Seriously? about the boiling pot. And of course, throwing in throwing in a few more sources, but I like to elucidate this idea of the boiling pot, what it means on a Peshat level and connecting it to the words of Mashiach and 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 uh, eventually Bizar Shem to with his uh, what was going on at a spiritual level and his his death. Mm-mm. Bring it. And so so uh, the verse is 113, and the Shem's word was to me a second time as follows, What do you see in your prophetic vision? I replied, I see a boiling pot, and its opening is from the north. He goes on to say, Hashem told me from the north, from Babel, will the evil break over all the inhabitants of the land of Israel? For I will inspire all the families of the northern kingdoms, Babel and the countries under its dominion, says Hashem. They will come, and each man will place his throne at the entrance to the gates of Jerusalem and the walls around it, and by all the cities of Yehuda besieging them. Then I will mete out justice to the Jews for all their evil, for 
having forsaken me for burning incense to other gods and bowing to the work of their hands. Commentary on this, this pot uh, says, the pot of food symbolized the fortified cities of the kingdom of Yehuda, and especially Yushlam, where all the Jews would gather under this false illusion that they would be safe from their enemies. Mm-mm-mm. And then it doesn't just say a pot, it says, it says a boiling pot. Right. right, and so this is the idea that the fire heats up the pot, and it begins to boil, and this corresponds to the enemies that would surround the cities and besiege them, waiting to eat the contents of the pot inside, that is to consume the inhabitants. It goes on talking about, you know, the pot is from the north, and this is symbolic of the invasion from Babel, north of Eretz Israel, and also this idea of north. If you direct yourselves eastward, north is to your left, which is the side of harsh judgment, Gavura, and north is also associated with the Yetzir Hara. <clears throat> and so this is this is what's going on on just a simple level. It's about the invasion from Babylon. Wow. And so that's that's what's going on on a simple level with that. Tag. All right. I agree. Because uh, you speak of Babylon, Yetzirah, North, um, and the surrounding enemies that are waiting to eat, you know, this this feast here. Um, Shonuf Pincus, just last week's parsha, parsha Balak, he was bringing down how Balak and Balaam together represent Babel and Amalek. Which Babel, you can extend out into Babylon because they're in the same place. So Babylon is a later development of Babel, like literally where they built the first tower to try to wage war with Hashem. And so if you think about, you know, what's actually going on, you know, these enemies, the Yetzirah, you know, it's all about waging war against Hashem and how we have the war that wages inside of us. You know, because of our our own flesh, our own sin, you know, wants to get the better of us while the spirit that Hashem has placed within us and how we want to keep the Torah and we have this war with our flesh. And it's like, you know, that's the the battle against the Klippa, you know, and it's like that's a that's a picture of what you're talking about here. Yes. Yeah. And the the point is just so glad that you're like just elucidating that is of the point is to make yourself a nothing that's how you overcome that mm. and to humble yourself and wow. like to, to fight your own desires that would wage war against you and wage war against uh the community around you all of israel and all of the world you know and you, like our, our sages say the what what is what is strength strength is you know essentially subduing your yitzahara your evil desire Wow, uh, it's that kind of strength that brings about uh, that brings about true shalom, true community, and just a quick swerve, um, if you will. A lot of people who say that religion causes so many wars and this and that, but if you think about it, you boil you boil it down to the idea of the three quote unquote monotheistic religions. The original of those three would be Judaism. Cool. And everyone will, will go to the Bible and point to it and agree with the, the beginnings of creations. And if you look at one of the core aspects of 
Judaism would be the Ten Commandments. Everything in there, if you just look on the later half, it's about do not murder, do not steal, do not cheat, do not covet. You know, if you followed all those things, then you would be living in peace with your brother and sister. You would not be waging wars against them. Or you would not be uh, cheating and causing jealousies. You would not be coveting and, and trying to to cheat and steal and kill to, to get what you desire. Wow. And so not only you, you know, that the, the uh, idea that religions cause war is a completely... Uh, misguided concept what the real problem is is that we do not follow it what we do we don't follow Hashem's directive we follow our own desires and it's our our evil desires our selfish desires that brings apart that brings war and famine and death and plague so I just want to elucidate that concept a little apologetic section if you will the thing that's, that's an important thing to have in your back pocket when you come across someone who says Religion is a problem. Religion causes wars. Um, and you're living a religious lifestyle. So, you know, if someone says that to you, it's just going to be a slap in the face. So just be like, ah, well, the Ten Commandments say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if you follow that, you live in peace with people. You know? So, wow. that was a swerve. Didn't mean to take that swerve, but I felt that it might be helpful for I, someone. I, I think you did, and I'm glad you did. And I'm actually quite concerned for your health because. It, it sounds like you've been close to some gamma rays lately because cause you literally just kind of hulked out and threw like a skyscraper. Because do you realize the the significance and the, the much needed elucidation about religion causes wars? Like to clear that up? Like... That's like stuff that no one thinks to ask or look into, but yet it's it's definitely spoken about as if there's this uh, in-depth knowledge and awareness of it. I literally I literally have a coworker that constantly questions me about you know religious opinion, and he he gets a kick out of it because it's like he asks a Christian. Then he'll go ask a Muslim because we 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 all are working in the same building, <laughs> so yeah. it's just kind of oh wow, Bruce, like this is crazy right now. Um, and then you got the Jew, like he's asking, he's just like, you know, the, as you said, the three quote unquote monotheistic uh, religions, and it's just kind of like, but every time he talks to me, it's just like, man, like such peace. You know, such knowledge. And it's just like, all these different grades over here and variances of, of this coloring. You know, and he said that it really boils down to it's like you got two different people looking at one wall. One says the wall is blue. One says the wall is yellow. And I said, well, you know, the thing about that concept, which is a beautiful concept. How about you go ask the person who built the wall? Go talk to him about what the color is. Yes. You know, and he just looked at me like, man, I got to drive away from you. That was that was crazy. You know, like, who says <laughs> stuff like that? Well, Jews. But, yeah, I mean, that, that is a much needed elucidation. So I appreciate you just sharing that. I am totally blessed by that. I hope people listening to this podcast are blessed by that. So, man. Rukshem and Toda. 
Blah, blah, blah. Wow. Religion um, does not cause wars. People do. <laughs> that's right. Selfish desires. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is the whole um, going back to our verse in the half Torah. Oh, yeah, the half Torah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, this is the uh, half Torah GYS with some swerves. I mean, some swerves with some half Torah. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So we have, we have this idea, um, uh, this idea in the half tour about this this boiling pot. It's like the, the 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 pot. It's this pot of food, and it says it symbolizes the fortified cities where the the where all the Israelites would would gather. So this is the point where they would gather. This is the point where they would come to, right? And we look at going into like the more spiritual idea. Yes, the the plain meaning of text. This is Babel coming in, invading um, invading Israel. This is their judgment for the sins that they've committed. There's also the illusion. We've been talking about how each one of these verses is an allusion to the mission that Yeshua HaMashiach did, has performed, or is performing, or will perform. Wow. And wow. So I, believe, I believe this right here, these verses, uh, one... Uh, 1 to 13 to 1 to 16 about this boiling pot alludes to the spiritual aspect of what happened when he when he he came to to lead his Talmudim and teach uh, teach uh, Kol Israel um, the Torah and even on the spiritual aspect what was going on at the execution stake because it mentions the, the pot of food symbolized where everyone would gather right. and what what Yeshua said he says come to me in Matthew 11:28 come to me. Ooh. And you see all the people gathering to him, and you see him uh, sitting and eating with what the people would consider sinners. The Ooh. the leaders of his time, they're considered sinners. They're considered lowly. They're considered unworthy to sit with a Pharisee such as Yeshua. Um, so you have this idea of this pot of food. It's like where everyone would gather, right? The fortified yeah. cities, and you have the people who are in sin, who are in the state of disconnect with with god because of their like you point out their their false leaders at the time mm. who weren't leading them the correct mm. way so they're in disconnect from god they're in a separate state from god and so it's like they're in this aspect of sin then they can't help it because mm. they don't know any better they have no one to truly teach them the right way and here comes yeshua says i'm going to accept you and all your sin all your faults and all your distance from god and i want you to come to me his physical act, we talked about as Jews, we take a physical act and we make it a spiritual one. And so the physical and the spiritual, they parallel one each other. This physical act of having the sinners gather to him parallels the spiritual act that was done on him at the execution stake, where you have, it says in the writings of, as you as you described him, the distinguished gentleman, uh, Shaul, who is also a Pharisee, um, says that Whoa, he, whoa, 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 you can't speak about yes, that. You can't speed bump it. We've covered this. We've covered this ground. See, uh, half Torah. No, <laughs> you just um, said Rabbi Shaul is a Pharisee. I mean, I'm just. Yeah, well, he says that. See, I believe Acts or Romans, of one of those. You, you probably know more than I do. Of um, course. Just believe but, that, know that, trust that. Okay, speed bump Yeah, just read your Bible if you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my goodness but, gracious. But he says. Talking about this concept of, of Yeshua gathering all the sinners and those distant of God on a physical level, paralleling his spiritual aspect of what Rabbi um, and Pharisee Shaul writes, that he who knew not sin 
became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. Um, and we also mentioned that it's it's this pot being, um, it says its opening is from the north. And we said this is like, this is like judgment. This is like the Yetzirahara. Um, and so this, this idea comes into play as well, right? This is what, wow. how it's gathered in. Wow. Right? And so um, you mentioned something before that's, that's really stuck with me, and that's Yeshua's death on the, on the stake paralleled the bedtime Shema. Would you mind kind of uh, like um, uh, explaining this idea to uh, myself and the audience? Well, you, you caught me uh, in the middle of Gematria, so I'm going to... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, bend, didn't mean to throw you off. Screen, switch, um, bloom... Okay, so yes, Mashiach's death on the crucifixion stake is like into a bedtime Shema. Because when you look at Bereshit 49, I'm going there. There's this interesting terminology that is used for Yaakov when he when he's dying. I mean when he's sleeping. I mean when he's when he's dying. Uh, and in this verse, uh, let's see, getting my Bible turned there. It is in Bereshit 49, the last verse of that chapter, verse 33. It literally says, Yaakov, there it is. Okay, Vayigva, Vayigva. That word, that word is not vayamot or vayamet, like yamet, like to die. But it literally is the word for to expire or to give up the ghost. And wow. then it says that this was, this happened when he drew up his feet onto the mita, which mita is a stick, like a staff. So he drew up his feet onto the staff and how we were talking about the crucifixion stake is called a tree. More specifically, it's called a stick, which the Greek to that word is staros. So this is why calling the death of Mashiach on a cross becomes a, a stumbling block because you lose out on this really in-depth meaning of the one who expires upon the stick, who doesn't really die. He, he technically falls asleep. And the, the beauty about Yaakov is Yaakov is called the Lamb of God in um, Jewish Midrash, Midrashim. And this whole parasha of Vayaki, we're all the way back in Bereshit right now, talking about parasha Pincus on the Haftarah. That's crazy. But... If you go back to Vayaki and the whole reason why Yaakov is making this oath with Yosef about being buried, not in Egypt, but being buried back in the promised land is because had he was had he been buried in Mitzrayim in Egypt, he would have caused the plagues to be of null effect because he would have atoned for the land of Egypt all the way down to the dust. But that's a swerve from saying that when when Yaakov died, the Lamb of God died, 
I oh I quoted that because when you read that midrash and all that in the midrash Rabbah, you find out that Yaakov is called the Lamb. But in the next verse in Bereshit fifty, the fact that Yosef fell upon his father's face and wept over him, and then it says and kissed him. Technically, you don't uh, touch a dead body because it imparts impurity. However, the commentary from the Or HaChaim says the fact that Yosef kissed Yaakov was to show that there was no impurity imparted. Deductive reasoning. Yaakov couldn't have been a dead corpse if he was quote-unquote dead but imparted no impurity. I mean, obviously, there can be a lot of wiggle room, so I'll, I'll give everybody that. But let's go with the simple fact here. That it doesn't say he died. It says he gave up the ghost. And again, yeah. he gave up the ghost on a stick. And then uh, we quoted Barakot, I believe it's 5A, that says, For the bedtime Shema, one who is a Torah scholar should say the bedtime Shema. But if they don't get to say the bedtime Shema, chances are it's okay because they're going to fall asleep studying Torah. So it's sufficient for them to say... Into your hand shall I commit my spirit. So, when you put all that together, you can see from the precedent all the way to Mashiach Yeshua actualizing this manifestation that the death upon the tree, upon the stick, is a bedtime Shema. Wow. And that, um, that, is, that is incredible. The whole, that's, and that's an understatement. That's like, I remember the first time like you, you brought that up, like that was just, it like completely blew my mind about relating that to the whole Yeshua on the stake related to, to Yaakov and that being, it's like this huge, like bedtime Shema. And just for listeners, maybe you don't know what bedtime Shema is, like the prayer you say, the prayer within the Siddur, you don't have the book, that book, get it? Yeah, um, get but you have Siddur, a prayer book. It's the prayer you say right before you go to, go to sleep. It's mentioned in the Talmud, Rakot 5a, that the recital of the Shema immediately before retiring is understood to be a protection against the dangers of the night. What's interesting is uh, night is also uh, synonymous, with according to the exile. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it helps you in the protection of exile. <laughs> and what's interesting is there's, there's a lot of... Uh, if you will, like Kabbalistic thought of what what goes behind, like why we say the bedtime Shema and it protects us against like evil spirits. I was listening to to a drosh and it, it talks about if you don't say it, you're you're left where you're. Because we we re read uh, the Modeani, you've greatly returned. I greatly thank you, Adonai, if you return my soul within me. So it's the idea when we go to sleep, our our soul is brought to Shemayim, and then it's brought back down into us when we wake up and so during the period where soul is is out of us there's a lot of kabbalistic thought about like these, these demons and uh these kind of like these different different forces that they see they're kind of like flies to honey Ooh. right they see they see all the torah and all the kadashah that that we have enveloped through all the mitzvahs we've done during the day and they want to reach onto us. That's right. And this is one of the reasons why we why we wash our hands in the morning. To, like you said, to purify ourselves. Like you you said, I met earlier. 
the purity is what connects the mind and the heart. That was incredible. <laughs> Man, don't get me started on that because I got to read Lakute Torah this week about, you know, washing your hands and uh, why you don't eat before you pray Shacharit and connecting to your neshama, like as this whole synchronizing process is coming back up when you're waking up in the morning. Uh, that is such a deep concept. So, oh my goodness. I wish we could just talk about that because that's just, whoo, wow. But it's it definitely is very Kabbalistic and I don't, that's beyond the scope of this podcast. There we go. Yeah, I'm just just looking at not not through all the all the the depth of it. Yeah, but I'm looking at as the, the picture because we're we're comparing um, because of your elucidation we're comparing Yeshua's death to the bedtime of Shema. Oh my goodness, that just right? sounds. And what did he gather to himself? He gathered to himself the sinners. He gathered to himself those who were distant from God, right? And the spiritual realms he gathered together, like he who knew not sin became sin. He gathered all these evil forces upon himself, all these impurities upon himself, that we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. And so it's another another aspect, another 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 facet of of him of this whole execution state being like the bedtime Shema to protect us in our exile that he knew that we were gonna be in. Mm, mm, and mm, mm, what's mm, even mm. more interesting is there's a reason for him him drawing in this. To himself, all these impurities, all the sin, this, this Yetzirahara, uh, all of, all of the faults of, of all of us, of the entire world. Wow. And it really comes down to the, the last part of our of our um, Parsha. And it says in verse chapter 2, verse 3, As a reward, Israel is holy to Hashem, the best of his harvest. Anyone who consumes it, including the Babylonians who will invade the country will be held guilty. Evil will come upon them, says Hashem. And we're talking about this going back to the boiling pot and it's like a boiling pot of food that the Babylonians were were trying to, to feast upon. They're trying to consume Israel. Okay. It's reminiscent of these the, the, the spirits and all the Yitzhahara and all these that are sins clinging and trying to to feast upon the most holy of holies, Mashiach Yeshua. Wow. <laughs> and in the commentary here, we're going to find why that was necessary for him to do that. Why that process was actually necessary of, of him becoming sin. Wow. And so it goes on elucidating this. It says, says Hashem will always, commentary in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, Hashem always remembers the great trust in him that B'nai Israel showed when they unquestionably followed Moshe and Aaron into the wilderness and spent 40 years there. Ooh. When they received the Torah at Har Sinai, they became Hashem's bride. It says, even if they sin, Hashem continues to love them. Of all the nations, they are the Teruma, the part of the harvest that is holy. Only a Kohen may eat the Teruma, and any outsider who consumes it is punished with death. Similarly, any empire that attacks B'nai Israel will ultimately be destroyed. Wow. And so you have all these, you have death and sin itself and all this demonic forces clinging to the to Mashiach as he's, he's going through this bedtime Shema, right? And what they're doing at that moment 
they are consuming, they're consuming the teruma, the holy part that was set aside for Israel, right? And it says anyone who consumes it will be punished with death. And so right here you have all, all these like death, the Yetzirah, all these demons consuming, like trying to latch on to Yeshua as he's on the execution stake. And that was a trap so that eventually, by law, they would have to be punished with complete annihilation. Wow. We talked about earlier how, and when we talked about the Haftor on Shimshon, how salvation is a process. Yep. And there's all these prophecies about Mashiach consuming death, Mashiach eliminating the Yetzahara. Well, this process had to happen in order for the law to execute judgment upon death and sin and the, and the Yetzahara itself. Man. I, I would just like to tag and say that I agree. And it's like, you know, the gathering in reminds me of the mikvah. And the mikvah is where we go for purification and cleansing. And the mikvah, interestingly enough, has to happen in order for us to be crucified with Mashiach so that no longer we live but he lives in us and so when we do that mikvah it's likened to being placed up on the crucifixion stake yes so you know and, and thinking about the gathering of the waters also purifies the gathering of those impurities so it's just like let these waters that were gathered purify those impurities that were gathered up on us so i mean it's such a beautiful exchange and and picture that's happening there and literally you see the name of hashem because later on in yermiyahu he he talks about how hashem himself is the mikvah and you read my mind. I was going to tag in with that. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, no, no, that's awesome. Please, please keep going. I was just going to say, because if you think about Hashem's name, like it's incomplete right now because, you know, all of the enemies of Israel still exist. And it's like when Hashem's name is complete on that day when his name is one, you know, Elenu, like in Yeshua's name, Hashem's name becomes complete. You know, the at the redemption, Hashem names becomes Hashem's name becomes complete. The Yod and Hey attached with the Bab and Hey, which is the mikvah of Yisrael. Also, uh, alluding to the fact that Yisrael currently is are surrounded by numerous enemies, and it's just like at any moment they could attack. But the problem is, is when they attack, it's there's they're going to be due for justice at that point. So all of that just mixed in together is just, you know, what really came to my, my heart, you know, as I was thinking of, or thinking about what you're saying, you know, I mean, that's absolutely incredible uh, insight. Um, and um, just the whole, this whole, this whole hallucination you're making with like the whole mix up. You know, and, you know, Hashem being the mikvah of Israel, and you compare that to Yeshua being a mikvah and purifying us. Like, it just goes to point out a whole divine 
divine messiah and again and it's it's interesting you mentioned you know his name being one because we we talked about earlier that these are the 20 21 weeks of of mourning you know and that parallels with like the you the hey and the vav right that's 21 because it's missing that final hey the shim's kingdom you know he needs to, to merge with his his bride to make his name one mm. and right now we're in this period of of exile I am mean, we, we said the the bedtime Shema that that Yeshua did like the bedtime Shema itself is is to give us protection from the night and we talked about the night you mentioned the night being synonymous with the exile and so like in our exile in in this uh, this point that we're in for 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 mourning for our, our Mashiach, or Hashem, who is pierced. Wow. Looking forward to the three days that the Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt by him, mm. as we say in our Siddur. Yes. You know, what protects us in the meantime, his sacrifice, his bedtime Shema, Ooh. protects us in our exile. You know, we cling to that, we, we mourn for him, and we, we pray for Mashiach to come soon speedily in our days. Amen, be amen. So, so that he can finish his job of uh, swallowing up death. <laughs> amen. So in conclusion, yes, we are saying that Yeshua is the name of Hashem. Yes. If that's, if that's, a, if that's helpful for individuals who are, including myself, who are always wondering, you know, man, how far do we go with this Yeshua manifestation of Hashem thing? Like, okay, now you can know that not only is Yeshua the arm of Hashem or the angel of Hashem, but now we know he's the name of Hashem. Literally, Hashem's name walking around. That's Yeshua. Well, it's interesting you say that um, because we actually, since we're on this kind of Sador parallel, uh-oh. Like right after Shema, it's blessings. Right before you get into the Amidah, Uh-oh. it talks about, and I'm I'm at the Shakri right now. It says <laughs> it says true, you are. Well, hold on, let me go up a little little bit. That's a talk. That's the talk where it talks about uh, the helper of our forefathers. Are you alone? Mm-hmm. Uh, shield and savior for the children after them in every generation. After the summit of the universe is your dwelling and your justice and your righteousness extend to the ends of the earth. Praiseworthy is the person who obeys your commandments and takes to his heart your teaching and your word. Amen. True, you are the master of uh, true, you are the master for your people and a mighty king to fight their battles. True, you are the first and you are the last. And other than you, we have no king. This is the part I want to highlight. Other than you, we have no king, redeemer, or savior. And it talks about from Egypt you redeemed us, Hashem our God. From the house of slavery you liberated us. And so just to highlight the fact that how can we expect, it's selfish of us to expect a, a mortal Messiah, a mortal king. Ooh. You know, someone who is not not Hashem. Because mm. Hashem is our king. Hashem is our redeemer. Hashem is our savior. And besides him, we have no king. We have no redeemer. We have no savior. We have no Mashiach. Besides him, wow, and that's encoded. That's all encoded within the Sador that our, you know, great Sadakim and prophets have pieced together very carefully. Man. You know, they know what they're talking about. Dude. This idea of how can Yeshua be divine? Just, just know that we have no king, we have no savior, we have no redeemer, but a Shem. Woo. And to expect uh, a Messiah that's made in our image 
instead of him is something selfish and it's something we have to be nullified from we have to nullify ourselves we have to nullify our image Mm. and and focus our eyes back on him and his will tag (laughs) all right what you got I don't even know how I'm able to tag after what just happened. You hit him with the Peshat. Like, wow. Okay, so I totally agree. And this is a support tag. Because remember that time where it was Captain Israel and Incredible Talmud and Dr. Sakal and, you know, Hasis and a whole bunch of people. And we were sitting around the table, and we were talking about the Pesach lamb being tied to the bedpost of the children of Israel during Shabbat Hagadol all the way to Erev Pesach. And how the children of Israel put themselves in a very precarious position because they're taking, quote-unquote, the God of Egypt and telling everyone in Egypt who worshiped this god that they're going to sacrifice it and eat it. I don't know if you remember that, but that happened probably a few <laughs> weeks ago. And basically it was saying, we took the image and we sacrificed it to show that it has no dominion over us. Right? So right. the same way it was extended out into the picture of we, as people today, you know, to your comment about the human Messiah, you know, we have been in a place of, you know, not really just saying us, but in general, whenever it's taught about the Messiah, he's a man and, you know, he's he's God and all this kind of stuff. It was like, well, in the form of man, he was placed upon a crucifixion stake and sacrificed you know and now we have to partake of his flesh and drink of his blood you know like literally eat this sacrifice to show that that image you know has no dominion over us so really getting into i mean this is deep right now so the podcasters just hang on um but just like the pesach lamb being the God over Egypt, the God over the world, just like the man being in our minds is like, this is the, this is our savior, our king. Well, our God is beyond just mortal human man. Like you were saying, you know, Hashem is infinite. You know, he, we, we are made in his image. You know, he's not made in our image. He's not even made. He is, he was, and he shall be. You know, and so the whole point of the crucifixion of Mashiach on the stake, I mean, that's a, whew, I mean, that's deep, you know, like, hey, this right here, this is, this is flesh and blood, this is skin and bones, you know, but I'm beyond that, you know, like, that's a shem, you know, so. The tag, tag on, the, on this awesome concept you're bringing down of, um, sacrificing uh, our our God, like the image of, of Mashiach. Hashem had to manifest himself before him man, because that was that is that was our God and in some ways that's still our God. It's ourselves. Yeah, I mean really that's, that's the God of Mitzrayim mm. that has to be brought it has to be done away with that we have to partake of. 
to remind ourselves it's not about us, it's about him, it's about his sacrifice, it's about his his Torah and his will. And it's interesting because in this in the half Torah it talks about the pot being open from the north. The food that in the pot, what they consumed, the access point is from the north. Now it says uh, says um, uh, bear with me here. Uh, yeah, and its opening is from the north, like verse thirteen. I see a boiling pot and its openings from the north. And we mentioned that the north, north of Israel at the time was, was Babel, right? And you mentioned earlier about Babel. Essentially, they were trying to wage war against the ship. Right. And they wanted to build a monument of themselves for oh. them. Oh. Image. Wow. Right? This further elucidation in this half about why Hashem uh, had a manifest himself in the form of man. It was to destroy the image that we've always been struggling with. This God we've always been struggling with with ourselves. It's our own, yet the heart, our own desires, and following those evil desires, the selfish desires, end up being the problems that destroy the world. Not religion, not Hashem's way, but our own, when we turn away from His way. And that's the image we have to nullify. That's the image we have to destroy if we want to attach ourselves to Him and if we want to manifest His kingdom on the earth. Wow. So, you're we're cutting out again, but I don't know if you can still hear me. I hear you. Wow. <laughs> buzz, buzz, buzz. But you, but what we're talking about right now, just literally connected to Tractate Suka, I believe it's fifty-two that says there was great mourning. And some people say it was mourning the death of the evil inclination, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the North, a.k.a. Babylon. Or some say it was the death of Mashiach ben Yosef. Mm-hmm. So we completely just were privileged to connect those uh, dots right there. Oh, wow. And this week's Haftarah. Yes. So, wow, that's an awesome connection. So yeah, Rukashim. Thank you for that. That's cool. Bavakashah, that which we worship, that has to die, and only Hashem should be the one we worship, and any other image cannot stand in His way. Amen. Well, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we elucidated just about everything uh, that can be possibly, well, for now anyway, elucidated. But we normally end with kind of like a practical, you know, takeaway. Do you have anything on that or do you have anything else you would like to share? Um, I guess for a practical takeaway, we could just machine gun the audience with a few things, you know, get us a door, pray. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Say the bad time, Shema. If you're single and you're, you're wanting to know who your significant other is, then I would refrain from touching them or, or being intimate in any form and, and allow yourself to be, be pure and, and, and thoughtful when, so that you're, you will recognize who your other half is. Uh, and uh, I don't know what you got. Uh, definitely to know, believe, trust understand 
completely be steadfast and immovable and converting to Judaism if you truly love Hashem and follow his Messiah and to not ever, ever doubt, you know, your status, because if you're following Hashem and you're doing what he told you to do, it doesn't matter if you're native born or convert like that's a get you some position that you want to be in. Because there is no discrimination for that. Uh, because, I mean, there might be on in, in this world and for men, but as far as your eternal um, status, there is no discrimination. You've completely fulfilled what Hashem told you to do. So you're without fault and blame there. Uh, the next thing I would say for sure is to really just grab a hold of all that Hashem has granted us with Torah, with observance, um, with all the Jewish literature and the rabbis and, and things that come from the Pharisaical mindset that are proper and pure, like the things that Mashiach Yeshua himself said, do what they say, but not what they do, that type of stuff, you know, um, and use that as you go into the Brit Hadashah, because the Brit Hadashah is so, um, it's spotty, you know, it, it hasn't been as well preserved as the Torah, you know, so if you can really grab a hold of Torah, you will find your Messiah, you will see him, and you will see the most pure and clear image of him possible, as opposed to trying to figure out what Paul said, or getting confused is the Bible contradicting itself. You know, you won't have those issues. So that would be my practical takeaways from this. And that, um, as you can see, as I'm very grateful for Hasis to bring these insights, you know, you really have to focus on, I guess I got one more thing. You really have to focus on your brother and your sister that are a part of the kingdom with you. Like, just grow that relationship and and get rid of your own pride and your own ego and, and work together, you know, because that's where the danger happens is when we work together. So yeah. the, the best way to do that is to to always lift up another person as opposed to lifting up yourself. Don't worry about being outdone and who's sharing more or I didn't share anything or this person thinks they're cooler than I am or they know more than I do. No, no, no. It's completely the wrong approach because you start to realize that because Hashem said we're echad, like namely you and Hashem, but you and your brother or your sister, you're we're all echad, you know? So what another person have, we have, we get to share. That's how we fulfill Torah, literally. The concept of fulfilling Torah is it has to be done in the context of the congregation of Israel, not in the individual of Israel. The only individual of Israel that can fulfill all the Torah is the king of Israel, which would be Hashem, because he is the Torah. So, that's all I have to say, because I could keep going, but that's I need to just keep it practical. <laughs> so, for Yes. Thank you, show my man, for your words of, of Musar and healing and for insight. Definitely appreciating drawing out this this half for it. And as always, like I, I gained so much more insight than I than I ever ever thought I did or thought I would. Especially just like looking at it on my own. So I, I appreciate 
our dialogue for sure. Well, Amen and Gamlecha, you have no idea how just amazingly blessed I am. I think I learn a new karate move like every time we do this. So, I mean, that's just. No, no. <laughs> I don't think you learned a new karate move. I think you learned. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was nice. But yes, I totally appreciate you. Hashem bless you and your household with abundance. And may we all merit to see the return of Mashiach and the building of the Beit HaMikdash speedily and soon in our days. Amen. All right. Well, unless there's anything else, I will say the closing bracha. All right. Close us down, Aki. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Zur Kol HaOlamim, Zadik Bekol HaDorot, HaEl HaNeeman HaOmer VeOse HaMdaber, Um Kayem Shekol Devarav Emet VaZedek, Neeman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu. Vene emarim, or slika vene emanim. De varecha ve davar echad. Mid varcha akor. Lo yashuv rekam. Ki el melek neeman verakaman ata. Baruch ata adonai. Ha el ha neeman bekol devarav. Bishem Yeshua. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Shalom and Shavuot Tov, Achi. Blessings over your Shabbat. And to the podcast listeners, Shalom and Shavuot Tov. Blessings over your Shabbat as well. This is Chasis and Shomerman signing out.